Let's talk development. Episode 13. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to CDPR's podcast series Let's Talk Development. I'm Nazir Shafraz, I'm an economist, I teach at Lums and I do public policy research. I'm going to be your host today. Uh we're honored to be joined by Amna Agshid. Amna is the general manager and technical lead at the Punjab Population Innovation Fund and she has over 17 years of experience in the field of family planning including with international development organizations. She's a graduate of the London School of Economics and a recipient of the Ashton Award from Prince Charles. Welcome to the podcast, Amna. Thank you. Uh, so, Amna, I want to start off with contextualizing the issue for our listeners. Uh, Pakistan's population, according to the census that just came out two months ago, is 240 million, um, which makes us the fifth most populous country in the world. And if things continue the way they are, then we're likely to become the third most populous by 2053. and i want to help unpack uh, with you if this is necessary a bad thing because on the one side we hear that we have a young growing population there is potentially a demographic dividend to be had um, and we could access uh, you know a greater economic growth through that but then on the other hand we hear about the ticking population bomb um and, and these are actual actual headings from uh, from dawn so they reflect what our national sort of you know narrative and conversation has been So you know can you help us reconcile the two are we on the dividend side or the bomb side what exactly is the issue with population growth So the issue on uh, Nadesh with population is not population itself uh, it only becomes an issue you know when you have inadequate resources uh, for the uh, population especially for children and young people like you've said that you know we have a large uh, young population and that must be that potential must be harnessed uh, positively Uh, but you know that uh, the data that is available to us as an economist uh, that uh, there is inequitable allocation of resources and availability of resources and you know the impact it has on the health of the population and also we need to keep in mind that you know the other issue is the uh, agency at women and couples uh, to make informed decisions about their bodies and their family size uh that becomes an issue so you know how when and you know uh, they can plan their families and space their children so i think i think you can also shed more light on the data that is available uh on on these uh, resources and health perhaps i should like to share that all uh, right absolutely yeah so what i'm hearing is that it's not about population growth number as such it's more about quality of life and about reproductive uh, rights and I, uh, and you know yeah on data i mean there is maternal health and child health i mean there's of course a whole host of human development statistics but just on maternal uh, health related to fertility the population council estimated that we had 2.25 million abortions in 2012 that's one of the highest rates in the in the world um and that's around 50 abortions for every 1000 pregnancy so you know that way of managing fertility is of course has very serious health implications for um for mothers and then if we a talk about health and education and infrastructure i mean just stunting for example uh, causes children to lose up to 46% of uh, earnings in in later life right so i mean the demographic dividend only really arises if we have that young and growing population is actually skilled and it's productive and they're able to uh, uh, to you know uh, operate in the economy to their uh, full potential So uh, yeah so you know just in terms of also framing our uh, conversation today when we're talking about population i guess we're not in that paternalistic framework of imposing number of children on anyone 
but about allowing women greater agency to choose their desired family size and birth spacing and ensure that it's aligned with their physical and financial resources. So the focus is on unmet need for family planning. Um, so on on that, Amna, what is the uh, what is the scale of the problem? How many people in in Punjab and Pakistan are not able to exercise these rights that we spoke about? Uh, yes, Nadish, you're absolutely right that uh, it is uh, the unmet need that we need to look at. And uh, you just shared, you know, the alarming number of uh, abortions uh, that are happening in the country. And these are very conservative figures. And do keep in mind that these are the official figures. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, abortions that are happening in the back street as well. And these are the the cases the, with complications that actually make it to the hospitals. That's why they're counted. So um, it's you, you used as a method of family planning. Clearly, that's what these numbers tell us, which means that there is a huge unmet need in the country. Uh, it's seventeen percent in the country, and uh, specifically in Punjab, it's sixteen percent, uh, which goes up to twenty five percent in you know the most hard to reach, marginalized, and vulnerable populations. So uh, then uh, among, uh, you know, uh, this population of uh, unmet need, uh, who people who are ready to practice family planning for one reason or the other are unable to do that, there are also many equities to consider. For example, the use of modern contraceptives. Uh, the current contraceptive prevalence rate in uh, the country is 34%, but the modern contraceptive rate, which is, you know, has a higher efficacy and sustainability is 25%. The discontinuation rate is 30%, you know. So uh, these are some of the uh, other uh, realities within, you know, uh, this larger group that we're talking about, we need to understand. The fertility rate is 3.6 births per woman. But when we look at the lowest wealth uh, quantile, it's 4.9 compared to the highest wealth quantile, which is 2.8. Which means that we also need to look at these inequities in terms of, you know, uh, education, in terms of the poverty level, uh, the age, like you said, looking at young people and even looking at children because there are a lot of early marriages uh, that are also happening in the country, which is, uh, you know, uh, sheds a light on a lot of other uh, health indicators that we need to look into. So uh, yes, you, you know the, the you know quite big, quite considerable. With the for the low hanging fruit is sixteen percent of unmet need. Even if we meet that and we look at the current CPR of thirty four percent, that means fifty percent uh, we will be able to reach in terms of CPR. Whereas our commitment in FP twenty thirty is sixty percent. So that means we need to increase demand for family planning also beyond the unmet need that currently exists. And so efforts for demand generation also need to be, uh, you know, made in order to come to that level where we're talking about that there it will be adequate allocation of resources for a healthy population and to harness potential of this young population. Right, absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for that. I mean, before we go into what PPIF uh, does and sort of specifics of how you're improving the demand and, and supply um, for family planning, I just want to contextualize that by talking about the main challenges in addressing the unmet need for family planning. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about challenges that are amongst the population as well, their attitudes or their beliefs and information, uh, but also policy and data-related uh, challenges. Right. So, um, 
the uh, uh, how PPIF uh, you know uh, plans and then executes its uh, programs is that we first looked at the current landscape of family planning programs and we try to identify the barriers um, as well as the gaps in the family planning program. So uh, the first barrier is accessibility that we need to look at. Forty percent of the you know area of the population is uncovered and unserved. Underserved, so um, there uh, the private sector can play a role, but there are no incentives for the private sector to provide a comprehensive range of family planning services. It's about forty percent in the urban areas and about twenty nine percent in the rural areas. But there also they're not there's some sort of family planning services available through the private sector, but not a comprehensive basket of choice, and they are also not trained to provide family planning services. So accessibility is one very important area. Where there are providers providing family planning services, like I said, capacity building is very important because there's provider bias that also exists when people are providing family planning services because we are looking at you know the general um, environment uh, with the stigma attached to family planning services. Uh, the other uh, you know very important barrier is that of information. So, like I said, that demand generation is a very important aspect that we need to look at. There are a lot of myths and misconceptions that are prevalent, especially among young people on family planning. And uh, through demand generation exercises, and this, uh, we can address the uh, uh, barrier on information. Uh, I'd also like to mention here the barrier of affordability. Uh, I, I talked earlier about you know how there are inequities. Uh, within uh, the target population that we're looking at as well. So, uh, I, you know, in terms of vulnerability of family planning services, it's not just about the contraceptives and the service provision that we need to look at, but also the transportation costs to get to uh, these uh, service delivery points that we need to look at as well, because that's a whole day's uh, wage or a whole day that is wasted for uh any person who's trying to access family planning services because, you know, they are so far spread out. Right. And and then how does PPIF fit into this equation? Um, can you tell us more about what PPIF does and how is it different from the population welfare and the, the health department? Do, do, do you work as complements? Are there the demarcation of responsibilities? How does that happen? Yes. So, uh, like I mentioned, you know, uh, PPIF first had a look at where, what are the barriers and what are the gaps in the planning planning program and how is it that we can augment that and obviously improve the landscape of family planning uh, program in the province, uh, Punjab particularly. So, uh, we uh, target areas that are underserved and they're uncovered and marginalized populations where family planning services are not easily available or are completely uh, not available. PPIF is strategically positioned to improve the accessibility of family planning services that are pro being provided by the public sector. And we do that by engaging the private sector in underserved and un uncovered areas. And this is with the full support of the public program. Population Welfare Department is providing a PPIF with the free of cost contraceptives that which are then uh, provided to the target beneficiaries through the network of service providers that we have established. We have a focus on private sector engagement, so we bring more and more 
uh, health service providers into the fold of the family planning that are existing there. We train them and we equip them so that they can provide family planning services. And then we're also looking at uh, young people, uh, both in school and out of school and young couples so that uh, information and services to young people is provided at the right time. Uh, and in a youth-friendly manner so that they are comfortable in receiving these services and accessing them. Uh, similarly, we looked at the male engagement because joint decision-making is seriously lacking in this entire uh, family planning program landscape. So it has been predominantly a women-centered uh, program approach, which is why we've seen that the discontinuous on average is about 30%. And the reason for uh, this discontinuation is one of the major reasons that attributed our husband disapproval. So men are not informed and they are not involved in this programming and decision-making process in the beginning, which is why then these decisions are not sustainable. Uh, we are also focusing on quality assurance because that is something that uh, you know we find feedback from the target beneficiaries that uh, lacks in the current program and that is prevalent in the country. So quality assurance is very important and we lay a lot of emphasis on that in terms of training and equipping uh, the service health service delivery points. We are also looking at digital solutions. So we try to incorporate digital solutions in our program as much as possible so that uh, you know we can access much more uh, beneficiaries as compared to static clinics, which is what the public program is largely based on uh, right now, so that the information flow and the service uh, flow is much greater. Now people know where to get services from, when to get services from, which services to get from, what are the prices, and you know any kind of side effect management or follow-up that needs to be done, which doesn't always require physically going to the static service delivery points. So um, we have also introduced a voucher model for BIS beneficiaries uh, to access family planning services, especially from the private sector. So these are solutions that we are integrating within our program so that there is, you know, the outreach is much greater. And most importantly, uh, we are looking at social and behavior change communication because we feel that that has been, you know, largely neglected area and sort of fallen off the radar of the family planning program uh, historically in the last 60 years in the country, whereas it has huge impact and there is great need uh, to address uh, the, uh, like I said, the information barrier that can dispel the current myths and misconceptions around family planning in order to address the stigma that is associated with it. And in that respect, we're developing a drama serial that we will be uh, you know, disseminating through the mass media channels and digital media channels as well um, in order to create awareness and improve attitudes towards family planning. And we have other, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, programs planned in the same respect. Right. So so what I'm hearing is so the population uh, welfare, the health department, the work that they do is much more uh, traditional and kind of mainstream. And yours is more, um, you know, innovative as in, and then I guess that's the innovation part of the Punjab Population Innovation Fund as well, that you um, have are more of a, you know, aid the, the underserved and, and also, uh, you know, like if uh, women are the people who were being targeted with traditional services, you are now targeting men. If older women were being targeted, you're targeting younger, uh, you know, younger uh, people also. Uh, so in terms of, you know, the innovative 
aspect of it. Um, uh, to what extent do you operate as a sort of lab, right, where you can test new ideas? And I'm and I'm guessing what I want to talk about here is that I'm, uh, you know, do you evaluate? Do you disseminate? And is that scaled up? Does the scale up happen with PPIF or do the traditional government departments then take over? How does that work? Yes, certainly. So, you know, uh, you know, our sort of prime objective is that these uh, gaps or these barriers that I have mentioned to you, uh, we test out uh, solutions for it. And uh, based on what we have learned, uh, we are then able to recommend to the government. And this knowledge is also available to the private sector that they can scale up uh, these models that are tested and we have generated evidence for. So what we do is that, you know, when we have identified, you know, a gap that we would like to test out a model for, for example, uh, the accessibility and affordability of family planning services to the poorest uh, or the lowest wealth quantile. Uh, so we look at BIS beneficiaries. And so we te tested out one model with the BIS beneficiaries, which was an e-voucher model in which we created a network of private providers and through the electronic voucher model, uh, we were able to provide uh, free of cost services to the BISP beneficiaries in terms of contraceptive services and even the transportation allowance to visit the provider and also for its follow-up. And now we did a, a baseline of the area where this um, pilot was implemented. We carried out an end line of that area also. So we evaluated uh, the results of the program in terms of the specific indicators on knowledge, attitude, and practices of uh, family planning. And we, uh, you know, documented the lessons learned in terms of what worked and what didn't work and maybe what were the missed opportunities and uh, uh, what are what is some of the additional information if we have at that time, it can we can have an optimum utilization of such an intervention, such as you know the latest BISP data, for example, if it's available, then we can reach out to a much larger group and uh, the younger group uh, within this uh, you know uh, target beneficiaries. So uh, once we uh, you know test out that model, we design that model, we test it out, we evaluate it, and then we present the results to the relevant government departments. Uh, at, you know, who are responsible for planning of programs. And like I said, it's available to the uh, private organizations as well, which then decides that, you know, uh, if uh, there's proof of concept, we can scale these interventions up. And uh, the BISP model, for example, that I'm talking about, we are now, you know, sc scaling up to another four districts in the DG Khan division. And now there's a large-scale World Bank uh, program on family planning that is coming up, and we will be scaling this up to another 10 districts at that part of that program. Right. Thank you, Amra. And it's really interesting that you you spoke about BISP, um, and I want to hear a little bit more about that uh, that partnership, because I know that you, uh, that PPIF works in that kind of collaborative uh, framework with other institutions, whether it's a private sector or whether it's um, or the population welfare department or whether it's you know the world bank or the population council and that you know ha really helps leverage uh, the resources and you're not like inventing the wheel uh you know every time and collecting your own data every time and, and going in line uh, so you know tell us more about your collaborations uh, particularly you spoke about this and i think I, i'd like to hear more about about it did you use that information uh network or that distribution network and 
Um, I also want to talk a little bit more about your uh, your um, collaborations with Population Council. Right. So um, with Population Council, you know, as uh, was part of the sort of uh, you know uh, scoping exercises right in the beginning of the, when we were setting up uh, this uh, organization. So they also contributed a lot to the strategic direction of this organization. And um, specifically in terms of our program with BIS, uh, the Population Council was also our research partner. So this uh, evaluation that was done through an RCT model uh, was uh, designed by uh, Population Council. And uh, then, you know, the results were shared uh, with a large uh, audience uh, and it was available for uh, implementation by the public as well as the public sector, uh, private sector programs. Uh, now with BISP, uh, you know, it was a tripartite arrangement when we were implementing this pilot intervention. And um, with BISP, the uh, latest data at that time, which was of 2010, uh, was available to us and we implemented this pilot in Rahim Yar Khan. And uh, this data was then fed into an app where all the BISP beneficiaries of who were married women of reproductive age were then part of that database in that app. And through biometric verification at the service provider level, the BIS beneficiaries were able to avail free services and free contraceptives at the service provider level. And they were also eligible for a transportation uh, cost for their visit. And the subsequent follow-up co cost um, you know, of their uh, follow-up visits uh, of the method that they choose was also provided to them. And this was through, you know, a fund disbursement agency through an electronic transfer. So we tried to make, uh, you know, the ease of payments to the provider, to the uh, beneficiary uh, as uh, easy and efficient as possible because previously we had studied that, you know, that was a deterrence in other voucher programs uh, that had been implemented. And uh, so the, the there was you know, uh, COVID had struck actually at that time. And despite, uh, you know, the pandemic, we were able to realize a 9% increase in the CPR in the target uh, population uh, in Rahim Yar Khan. And based on those results, uh, we are now implementing it to, uh, um, you know, about 14 districts in the province. Right, thank you. And I actually think you might have answered the my next question also, which is on demonstrating impact. Uh, you, st uh, you spoke about the CPR and the contraceptive uh, prevalence rate. Is that the main output um, indicator that you target? And, you know, how do you sort of collect uh, data on it? And uh, how, how do you sort of demonstrate impact? Yes, so uh, yes, CPR is a very important indicator for us uh, to see, you know, what has been the uptick uh, of contraceptive use and uptake of family planning services uh, given any particular model. And uh, at the same time, we're also looking at the demand generation aspect because this is how we're, uh, you know, uh, assessing the accessibility and the supply. But we also, more importantly, want to see uh, what has been the changes in the demand generation of family planning. So what is the level of acceptability? What is the level of information and awareness on method choices, on uh, side effects? on, uh, you know, information regarding where these services are uh, available. Because, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, the public sector program is mostly have static health service delivery point. And PPIF keeping, you know, this uh, diverse group of 
beneficiaries who are underserved and uncovered and uh, are not able to access family planning services, PPIF is trying to develop solutions for them so that we can augment, uh, you know, the two uh, sort of uh, uh, service delivery programs and reach a larger audience. So it's, uh, we are, so demand generation, like I said, is very important. One, we want to see unmet needs, so how far we have been able to, you know, uh, be uh, been accessible to those who needed the service and for one reason or the other didn't do it. Maybe the reason was accessibility, maybe it was affordability, and maybe it was simply about information about the, you know, attitude or stigma or any myths and misconception that was prevailing around it. Or maybe the agency to exercise uh, that informed choice. So we are working on all these areas. So we also want to assess because these social behavior change communication indicators uh, are they play a pivotal role in sustainability of these programs because you know service delivery is uh, going to be there the way that we have uh, you know trained and equipped the private providers and the public providers that already exist. But it's very important how the people themselves are feeling what information they have and how empowered they feel to exercise these informed decisions. So those indicators are also very important to us in terms of empowerment, in terms of gender, in terms of their attitude uh, towards family planning and acceptability towards it. And provider bias. We are also looking at provider bias. That's also a very important area. And and do you collect this data through surveys? Uh, how does because it's I guess it's attitudes and preferences uh, that would be hard to measure otherwise. Yes, yes, that's what we do. We do it through surveys. Right, and so you know for this drama series that you mentioned, it's interesting. I just want to hear a little bit more uh, about that because you spoke about a unmet need for contraception and also about increasing the demand for those uh, services by changing sort of attitudes and providing information and so on. Uh, is so what's the intention with the drama series? So now you know that you know mass media has a huge appeal and digital medium has a huge appeal uh, to uh, people these days and uh, a lot of social behavior change uh, communication is uh, channeled through that and has uh, had a very positive impact. It has also had in the past, there have been, uh, you know, uh, certain interventions that have happened in the past, but I think a huge gap has come and maybe in the last 40 years, we haven't seen any such uh, sort of campaign or intervention. Um, it is particularly, uh, I think, popular uh, and accessible to young people, which we were talking about right in the beginning of this conversation, are very important that they receive the correct information at the right time. Uh, and in a way that, uh, you know, young people are receptive to it. So uh, keeping all these factors in mind, uh, drama series or drama serials or, you know, telephones or using the digital media, you know, for uh, similar uh, information, I think, um, you know, we feel that that is going to be very, have a very positive impact for the uh, behavior change indicators that we're looking at. Great, thank you. And I'm looking at the clock now. I think we're out of time. It's uh, thank you so much, Amna. This has been a really interesting and eye-opening uh, discussion, and um, also it's very important work that you're doing. So thank you for that too. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Nazis. Thank you for highlighting a very important uh, topic at this moment in the country. <laughs>